Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to DBRS Morningstar's European Securitization Insights podcast. My name is Madassa Chowdhury, Head of European Structured Finance Research here in London and along with my colleagues bringing you a variety of insights related to securitization markets. Today I'm also joined by Paolo Conti who is the head of the European ABS team and both of us working out of the DBS Morningstar's London offices. In this episode we will be discussing the methodology for of rating European consumer and commercial asset backed securitizations which was published on 8th of September with a request for comments and the update uh, relate to a uh, revision uh, of the approach on residual value risk so to palo to start start off with let's start with the basics what is residual value and can you put this in the context given it is a quite technical topic yeah thanks mudasa and thanks everyone for having me uh, yeah indeed it is a technical uh, bit of the market it's usually connected to uh, lease contracts but it's not unusual that you know the uh, concept extend to some loan contracts uh, basically in a lease contract there's a customer with an interest in an asset and uh, uh, through a finance company uh, who acquires the uh, the access the customer obtains a, a right to use uh, the asset uh, with uh, the payment of certain uh, installments usually in the context of a lease contract uh, the uh, relationship starts with an exchange of a down payment which uh, is exchanged at the beginning to increase the skin in the game on the side of the customer and reduces the risk for the finance company who ultimately acquires an asset and the, the finance company is usually not directly interested in the asset uh, itself uh, but is uh, the interest in the of, of of the finance company is usually connected to uh, the money the finance company can make out of the these contract after this down payment uh, the so called financed amount which is the value of the the, the value of the asset the purchase value of the asset minus the down payment is financed in favor of the customer and then part of the installment that the customer pays comprises a principal component that reduces the exposure of the finance company the residual value as we call it is uh, the exposure remaining at the final uh, at the final maturity date and usually in a lease contract this is reflected in a bigger installment that comprises this uh, residual value uh, it's called residual value because you know the most typical case is connected to autos and and the idea is that the value of the asset at maturity is uh, matches uh, the remaining principal that needs to be exchanged why is it uh, relevant in securitization both uh, in in case of loans or leases well it is relevant because you know some of these contracts which may be securitized require or entail that the finance company may receive uh, the asset back instead of the payment of a fixed amount and in so the finance company is exposed to the risk that the realization upon sale of the asset 
may be insufficient to offset uh, the remaining exposure. So that's basically uh, why it is relevant. That's, uh, as, as I said, the product is typically connected to leases, but it's not unusual these days that you know some loans may uh, comprise uh, residual value uh, and residual value risk. In, in a sense, the residual value risk is connected to the fact that, you know, uh, the value of the asset doesn't match. So if, if the sale proceed of the asset at maturity is uh, exceeds uh, the remaining uh, principle, the outstanding principle of the contract, then the finance company will have a profit from the sale. Otherwise, if the proceeds are lower than the outstanding principal, they suffer a loss. In, in terms of just, just to give a full view uh, to the listeners who may not uh, be experts of the, the market, in, in terms of leases, the asset may or may not be returned. Uh, in some cases, there's what we uh, typically call a financial lease where, where the, the customer has an option to return the asset at maturity or to pay the fixed, the, the remaining, uh, the, the final installment that acquire ownership of the asset. Or there are uh, operating leases where the asset must be returned at maturity, in which case the uh, finance company is always exposed to this risk. So depending on the cases, like you know, the risk profile slightly changes. And, and there's a similar profile to some loans that tend to reproduce the same risk profile of, uh, of leases. Thank you for highlighting what is the residual value risk in ABS transactions. So what is our approach in this case, or what is our new proposed approach in terms of the residual value risk in ABS transactions? The residual value risk is a kind of market risk. So in a sense, uh, is slightly different from classical credit risk, which is basically connected to the capacity of a borrower to repay. So the the basic question we have to uh, bear in mind in this case is what is the price of underlying asset going to be at maturity? At maturity or sometimes also during the life, since there are certain uh, specific products where the asset may be returned at other points in time. But I mean, let's focus on the basic case, which is return the asset at maturity. Our basic assumptions that is explained in the new approach is that the future price of the asset is driven by a predictable trend, but the actual outcome is uncertain. And basically, we have a predictable driver and noise around it. The approach, uh, as it is spelled, basically specified that you know, uh, we uh, derive our stresses assuming that the distribution of the price is uh, according to a log normal distribution. And then this, this is uh, uh, seemingly very complicated, but reality, once we have uh, specified the loss distribution and we know uh, how the asset price is distributed, we can define the stresses uh, through our, through a standard approach, which basically spells the stresses passing through the probabilities of default, which is what we are ultimately interested in, because you know the rating basically doesn't exclude the pro the possibility of a of a default or, or of a of a loss, but sort of tries to quantify 
the loss in terms of uh, uh, its probability. So when uh, we define uh, the uh, loss, this, the, the distribution of the price and as we have uh, as we have explained uh, when we spoke about the product uh, relevant the, the product contract relevant for this type of asset uh, class we also know the loss distribution and this and hence uh, we we can define uh, the stresses basically by looking at the uh, loss distribution we know that, you know, uh, looking at a tail, the area under this uh, tail gives us the probability and that's where we can define what is, what is the maximum loss we can bear uh, to uh, exclude a probability which is sufficient, sufficiently small. And, and, and this is basically the approach in uh, summary. How is our proposed approach different and why did it require fine-tuning yeah that's a that's a that's an interesting question the old uh, approach uh, was based on uh, multiples and was underpinned with uh, broadly the same concepts and the same considerations but for the sake of simplicity, we spelled the stresses in terms that could be uh, easier to understand. Why have we decided to fine-tune the approach and, uh, in, in a sense, uh, make it more complex and uh, apparently uh, more difficult to, to explain and to understand? Basically, the... Um, the necessity came, um, more than a necessity, like, you know, we observed certain specific cases, in particular, in particular, looking at the nature of the underlying products. One of the characteristics of uh, the leasing, as we mentioned, is that, you know, they comprise a larger instrument and maturity. This, this is not universal because, you know, it depends on the nature of the asset, some asset, are perishable assets with a value that declines over time, uh, and some are uh, assets with a steady or a stable value, like a piece of real estate. Uh, this uh, this is not unusual in uh, in the leasing industry. And so, depending on uh, if you have a perishable asset, you can have a very small exposure at maturity, but usually. Uh, the exposure and maturity is, uh, is is a substantial amount, uh, is a, a substantial part of the financed amount. This basically means uh, that you know the amortization of the product is uneven, and uh, the exposure tends to increase over time. In uh, if we look at this uh, uh, from a perspective of the stresses, as uh, in in light of the of what we could refer as the old approach. In a sense, this means that the stress is amplified over time if the exposure due to the uneven amortization increases over time. This, this is sort of uh, makes sense from a certain perspective for a perishable asset. But looking at the, but look, looking at the, at, at the underlying reasoning and the loss distribution, there's a sense that uh, the variability, typically expressed by concepts such as volatility, impact uh, have, have a smaller impact if the time to maturity is uh, smaller. And in our opinion, this uh, was uh, uh, harder to understand uh, in the approach as it was spelled previously. With the new approach, we are allowed uh, to specify 
uh, more clearly the dependency on uh, uh, the investment term. And in this sense, uh, since the amplitude of the uh, log normal distribution, which is ultimately the, which ultimately specifies the stresses, is smaller uh, if the investment term is smaller. And this basically allows us to quantify and specify with more precision the dependency uh, on uh, the investment term, which previously was one of the many elements which was included in the multiple calculation. And uh, um, I think, you know, we deemed uh, this uh, more difficult to, to explain and less clear. So you mentioned the, the approach has become a bit more refined from a moving from a, a factors-based approach to a slightly more fine-tuned analysis of the residual value risk in ABS transactions. Can you highlight some key differences between the two approaches then? So the old approach versus the new approach. The main difference is the old approach was based on, uh, on a multiple which captured uh, substantially all uh, the aspects and uh, on the identification of uh, what we call uh, the embedded uh, risk, uh, which is basically the risk that you know the, um, the finance company is willing to take at maturity. This, this is typically relevant for uh, assets for perishable assets which decrease in value over time, where uh, uh, the effect that you know the residual value is set above or below, the principal, uh, the principal outstanding at maturity is basically defining exactly if your expectation at maturity is to have a profit or a loss. Uh, but it, it, is of, it is certainly less, uh, less relevant for assets uh, which, uh, which, uh, which are expected to have a steady value or increase in value over time, such as a piece of real estate, which is expected to gain value at least at inflation rate. This is uh, basically the old approach. Uh, the new approach uh, has the same foundation, but instead of, uh, an, instead of being based on an all capture multiple, is based on um, a distribution and spells uh, uh, the dependency on a parameter such as volatility, which is expected to be steady over the life of the contract or less 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 susceptible to changes and uh, the depend the, the the investment maturity and of course you know will uh, uh, amplify or reduce uh, the uh, stresses at maturity the, the the dependency on the embedded risk remains the same but in the old approach i think it was reflected more of an additive term and uh, again, in our opinion, was less uh, clear how this impacted, especially the lower ratings. Just to summarize then, so is my understanding correct that with the, the shorter time horizons, the stresses are decreasing based on this new methodology? In a sense, uh, yes, because, you know, the stresses in terms of what we call uh, the residual value haircut may decrease over time because the uh, investment term decreases. And as we mentioned, the amplitude of the uh, dust distribution, uh, of course, you know, reduces. There's a consequence also the 
procedural value record, of course, you know, assuming that everything else, including the expectation, remains the same, which is not for granted. However, as I mentioned, uh, the underlying idea is also that, you know, the, the typical product with bearing residual value um, and residual value risk will have an uneven amortization. And so the exposure is expected to increase over time. And in a sense, the two things are expected to uh, partially compensate. Of course, you know, compensation is never going to be perfect. But the idea is exactly, we, we reviewed the approach because, you know, the, the view based on multiples and steady multiples were based on very specific uh, niche of the market. If you look at the methodology, in case it's finalized in the version uh, currently available, uh, you will see that there's one example that shows very clearly that, you know, uh, when you compare the two things, the increasing exposure and the decreased residual value, increased residual value work, the two things tend to compensate and, and to give a final impact uh, uh, quite steady. So this was the, I think, you know, in, in highlight and in summary, the reasoning behind it and uh, why we are thought uh, of uh, uh, revising and in, in a sense, uh, bringing up to light what was the underlying consideration that underpinned uh, the multiples. Thank you, Paolo, for sharing your thoughts with us all. And that's it from us. The updated methodology in its current form is also available along with supporting documents on our website. And if you have any questions or any particular topic you would like us to cover in the future, feel free to get in touch. Specific reports mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes. For individual analyst details, and the latest research and commentary from DBIS Morningstar, please visit dbismorningstar.com. By downloading and listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to the DBIS Morningstar disclaimer and legal terms and conditions found at dbismorningstar.com, forward slash about, forward slash disclaimer, and dbismorningstar.com, forward slash about, forward slash terms and conditions, including that the information provided is not investment, financial or other advice. DBIS Morningstar will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Please note that the content of this podcast is intended for European audiences only.